0: Uh, hey, I just got off vacation with some of my very favorite people in the world. My wife was there, and my three children, and three of my closest friends. And they're the type of people in this life that are easy to love. You know, they they think the way I think, they see things the way I see them, they laugh at my jokes. I mean, they're easy to be with. But there are people in this world that are a little less than lovable. You know, they're just difficult to love. They're difficult to be around and. If you don't have anyone in mind yet, check out this clip and see if anyone comes to mind. Oh! Oh, that feels good. Oh God, I'm telling you. My dogs are barking today. Oh! (laughs) That feels better. Hey, I got you a gift. I just saw something and I I thought of you so I don't I don't want it to be weird. I just want it to be nice, but I... Of course it's weird. It's a grown man giving another man a present. There you go. Open it up. It's okay. You're welcome. Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on, I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby stepping. I'm not a slacker. Listen to me. Check Listen. it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please, Bob. please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob. need, Bob. I need, this I need. Bob. Give me, give me, okay, okay. please. All right, all right, please. all right. No. Sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Hmm. Yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see? Memo about this, you can't do that. Can't do, cannot stamp it. Can't do double stamp it, no erases. Cannot triple stamp it, no erases. Just no, blue make no, it no, through. No. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lloyd, <laughs> you can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lloyd, you guys, enough. Did we eat pot roast for dinner tonight? Yes, was it undercooked? No, it was rare. It was a little rare for my taste. But I, but I'm I was would... kidding. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> relax, relax. The needles are jumping. I'm only gonna say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm. Oh. 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 That guy in a little coat. Bad guy in little gold. Take it off. Richard, what's happening? Uh-oh. Well, guess what? Now this is happening. Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you doing? That's how I roll. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? you got a clearer picture now is that right i mean i mean we know these people right i mean there's some people in this world that are just a little bit more difficult to deal with i mean they look different they talk different they make sounds like that or they smell different i mean their perspective is different and generally they're just difficult to be around i mean i want to be patient i i want to be loving I man I'm, I'm i'm the pastor right but They won't let me, you know, they just push me to the edge, you know, and they're really, they're just asking for it, you know, But loving these difficult people has not always been a skill of mine. And I've got a suspicion that I'm probably not the only one that maybe struggles with knowing exactly how to love these people, how to deal with these people. I mean, you know who I'm talking about, not just the extreme of those cliffs, but you know that annoying guy at work, right? He's, he's in the cubicle next to you, and he's always got his Barry Manilow pumping, you know, and it's loud enough that you can always hear it, but not so loud that it's against office policy, you know, and he's the same guy that gets his trout left over from the Red Lobster and uh, reheats it in the office microwave and never apologize. I mean, it's just stinking all afternoon. That's the same guy. It's the same kid who grew up, right? He was the kid in class who always had the right answer. Ooh, 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 you know that kid? That was was probably me. Um, Anyways. It's that guy, right? And it's the in-law who always reminds you that you're, you're not living up to the standards. Oh, it looks like you're showing up a bit late again, Chris. Oh, what happened? Didn't uh, make enough this year to get the family a new car? Or, you know, going to send them to public school, huh? Mm, interesting, you know? Or it's, it's that guy down the hall who's always making those inappropriate jokes. Or it's the boss that takes credit for all your work when you are the one who's actually doing the work. It's those people that see things differently, right? It's the Republicans, or it's the Democrats, or it's the Green Party, or, it's, or whoever. And it's the way they express themselves on Facebook and on Twitter, and uh, they're all everywhere. They're just sitting under my skin, right? It's your neighbor who can find some way to turn any common conversation into an argument. You know, and it's the guy who preaches about things that uh, he thinks are important, but he doesn't even live them out. He doesn't even live up to his own standard. I mean, these people can drive us crazy, and they're all around us, and it seems like they're multiplying. I don't know about you. That's what it seems like to me. I mean, just talking through that list, watching those clips sometimes my, makes my blood pressure go up just thinking about these things, you know, and part of the problem is not just that they're out there generally, but a lot of times we're related to them, you know. We've got some of the same DNA as these people, right? I mean, they're like Cousin Eddie in all the vacation movies, man. They just keep showing up at your house, right? That's part of the problem, and The other part of the problem is that some of these people have really hurt us, right, multiple times. They've disappointed us or they've let us down or they've insulted us or they've intentionally wronged us. I mean, that makes them even more difficult to love. And probably you've got someone in mind by now through the clips, through the descriptions. Maybe you've got someone in mind. But if you don't have someone in mind, here's kind of the bad news. You're probably in someone else's mind. (laughs) Sorry. But that's okay. We're gonna keep moving. We're gonna keep rolling with it. It's okay, you know. And and, and the question is, what are we gonna do with these people, right? You know, well, here's my kind of my confession time. Okay, and these are just some of my tendencies when I run into these people in my life. My first thing is that I just avoid them. You know, I just stay out of their way. I mean, I, they're annoying and hard to love, so I just plain avoid them. Here it comes, okay, I kind of look away or I look busy or you know, walk away from the water cooler. I go the long way around the soccer field so I don't have to sit next to them or be near them or even see them. I avoid working with them. I avoid uh, taking their telephone calls. I avoid uh, responding to or even opening their emails. You know, and I'm not proud of this. I'm just being honest. This is my natural tendency on how to deal with some people like this. In essence, I really just cut them out of my life, gently as possible, but I just try and limit my exposure to them. Or second, I... This is ugly, but I, I, I kind of begin to treat them as inferior. I don't treat them as equals, which is just awful. But I kind of think, man, if you're not going to act normal, well, then I'm not going to treat you normal, okay? That's going to be how I, I deal with that. If you're going to be difficult, then you deserve to be treated the same way. And in doing so, I, I subtly try to communicate to them how difficult they are. By not treating them as equal, I'm, I, I'm not giving them my best or um, uh, what I would give those who I really like. I I'm not as understanding. I'm I'm a little less patient. I'm a little less gracious with them, and I'm not really usually willing to put in the work to kind of get them or to to get along with them. And the worst thing is I just justify it in my head. I think, okay, you know, if I treat them normally, if I if I'm kind to them, if I treat them every like else, they'll never learn the lesson. They'll never change, right? And that's not okay. And I'm not proud of this. I'm just confessing. Maybe someone else out there going, yeah, I think I've done that before. And the last thing to do. this is me at my very ugliest is that I, I begin to speak kind of poorly of them behind their backs. I mean, this is just ugly. I've lost my patience and I, and I begin to try and act out in a pretty cowardly way, right? So I, I go to the coworkers or I go to my family members and I try and get them on my side to see this person the way that I see them so that, that uh, uh, we can all treat them poorly, and maybe somehow, if we all treat them the same way, then they can change and they can become lovable, or at least likable, or at least tolerable. Uh, but I mean, those are my confessions. But the truth is, I, I bet there's someone else out there going, "Yeah, I, okay, I feel like I, I might have done that before." I, I have a hard time figuring out these people too. I mean, I run into them all the time. They're at work. They're, they're at home. They, they're all around. How do I, how do I really deal with these folks? And the truth is, if you're like me, you found that those tactics that I just described don't work. My natural tendencies, they just don't come in handy. They don't make the relationship any better and they don't make the situation any better. So what are we, what are we supposed to do? What does this really look like? I mean, other people treat them poorly. I mean, does it make any difference if we treat them the same way or, or could it have some impact could it have some impact on our lives, on their lives, if we were to find a way to love them? <clears throat> what does it look like to really navigate these relationships? What does God want us to do with these people in our lives? And what does this have to do with building real community, right? We're in this community series. What does it have to do with building real community? Well, fortunately for us, <clears throat> there's a pretty good account of how Jesus handled difficult people. In the, in the Gospels. And really, amazingly, we don't have to look very far from Jesus to really find these people because the men that he chose to be his disciples, to be his kind of closest guys, uh, were, were not the easiest guys to love. You know, they were pretty... Uh, rowdy bunch of people you know so let me give you a few of those characters that Jesus kind of chose for his small group the first one that is kind of pretty well known was a guy named Peter and Peter was a real loudmouth he was that uh, speak first think second kind of guy he was a real hothead known for his temper but not for his wisdom unfortunately and I guess if you've got great wisdom it's okay to be a, a speak first kind of guy but uh, he would jump into a fight even if he was outmanned. And to be honest with you some of the the harshest interactions that Jesus has in the gospel are with Peter in him uh, Peter kind of having these uh, uh, arguments with Jesus then you got James and John these guys were uh, these guys were fishermen they were gruff guys they were uh, kinda rough around the edges Uh, they had the nickname the sons of thunder and what they're really most remembered for is this little interaction they have with Jesus all the all the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and they come up to Jesus and they say hey uh, we were thinking we know that you are the king of the world, you're going to have this big kingdom one day, and, um, and we would like to be at your right and at your left, we like to be your guys, and uh, uh, they're kind of like doing the Dwight Schrute from the office, right, we, we don't want to be assistant to the king of the world, we want to be the assistant king of the world. Can, can that work for us? That, that's the position we really want. I mean, can you imagine the arrogance, the pride that it would take to ask that question? Even in front of these other guys, I mean, they were, uh, 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 they were pretty frustrated with them. And, and Jesus is there going, I'm trying to teach you to be servants. This whole time I've been trying to pour into you guys, trying to teach you to be servants. And here you come asking for the seats of honor. Well, then you got a guy named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And that day meant he was a total traitor to his people. He was a liar. He was a thief. Socially, this guy, nobody wanted to be his friend, but somehow he made it into Jesus' small group. He made it into his small band of guys. Then you got Thomas, right? Thomas, best known for being the doubter, right? He was the na uh guy. Hey, Thomas, did you hear that Jesus, he healed this leper? Nuh-uh. He didn't hear no leper. Yes, Thomas, he did. Nah. He's the one who always wants to be right, always doubting, right? Always looking to get into an argument. That's Thomas, and he's, a, he's one of the closest guys. And then, of course, you got Judas. And Judas, one of the things that he, he's obviously best known for something else, but he was the, the finance guy, and he was kind of the buzzkill. He was always putting the kibosh on some of the stuff that Jesus and, and the disciples were trying to, guy, trying to do. He was a tough guy to love, but these are the guys that Jesus chose. He was the one, he, these were the guys that he wanted to be closest to. Well, in Scripture, it's, it's pretty cool. We get uh, uh, one of, um, uh, a look at one of Jesus' last small group meetings with these guys. He didn't call it small group, but that's pretty much what it was. It was a dinner one night, and uh, it's in John 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can op- open it up. If not, we're going to put that on the side screen, but you can't trust us. when We could put anything up there, you know, so you might want to bring your Bible next time. Um, it says this, it was just before the Passover feast. Starting in verse 1, and Jesus knew that it, the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He now showed them the full extent of love. Of his love. So his when so when you read that and when you get that to that in scripture, then you know, okay, man, something great is gonna happen. It's kinda like when you see on Sunday or, or earlier in the weekend you see those Monday night football commercials and they show like the quarterbacks are there and they're dun, dun, and they're like lightning bolts and earthquakes and they're coming into battle and you just know like, oh something's great that's gonna happen on Monday night. That's gonna be awesome. And then Shania Twain comes in and she's got singing all that song, you know, that song she sings that you know that song. You don't know the song. Yeah, that song. That song, she sings it, and you get all jacked up, and you go, something great's going to happen. Well, when we read this in Scripture, it would be great if you had Shania Twain singing, but you don't. But that's what it's meaning there, okay? You got something great is going to happen. The full extent of his love, okay. All right, let's see what's going to happen. So you get to verse 2. It says this. The evening meal was being served. And so he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you've been a Christ follower for a while, you've probably read this passage before and you're going, oh, yes, this is where Jesus cleanses the disciples' feet. But if you're reading or hearing this for the first time or you've never actually looked at this passage in Scripture, you're going, man, he did what? I mean, that's kind of crazy. He washed a bunch of dudes' feet? Is that is that right? Is that even sanitary? Was that a good idea? Well, let me give you a bit of a, the cultural context here. In that day, everyone uh, wore sandals and they walked all day. And uh, if they wore sandals at all, a lot of them were just bare feet. So by the time they got to the end of the day, uh, their feet were pretty filthy. And so if the, once they got into to dinner, usually when they would sit down together, uh, who, whatever the servant at that house was, probably the lowest guy on the totem pole, would usually come, but come around and wash each of the guests' feet And I'm not sure uh, whose job this should have been. I don't know if that servant had the day off and the the other servant did too. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I assure you no one expected Jesus to fulfill this role. You see, he was the master. He was the one everyone was following. He was the king of the world. He was the one they referred to as the Messiah, God with flesh on, right? Of all people, this was not his job. And I assure you, everyone who heard the story or read the story uh, that day, anyway, everyone who heard this in the first century would have been blown away. I mean, they would have never expected Jesus to be the one getting down on hands and knees and washing the disciples' feet. This would have been shocking. You know, they would have said, "Oh, that's what Shania was singing about. That's the full extent. Man, that's unbelievable." They didn't have Shania Twain back then. See, that's why you got to bring your Bibles. You see, you got to, otherwise, I pull that Shania stuff on you. And the text says this, he says, he went around to each guy one at a time, washing their dirty, filthy, stinky feet. He went around to James and John, and he remembered all of those arrogant, prideful conversations, and he didn't hold that against them. He just loved them right where they were, just the same way. He got to Thomas, you know, the nuh guy, and he goes, all right, I'm just going to love you right where you are. He washed his feet. He got to Matthew And uh, what an outcast he was. And it even says he came to Peter. And when he came to Peter, Peter didn't waste any time. He got right into an argument with Jesus right then and there. But Jesus still washed his feet, still loved him right where he was. And then finally it says he gets to Judas. And the author tells us that even at that time Jesus knew that Judas would betray him in the next few hours. Not in the next few days. Not in the next few weeks or months or years. In the next few hours. That day, he would turn him over to an angry mob that would take him to his death. And I wonder what that was like. I wonder what it was like to kneel at Judas's feet, to know what he knew about Judas. I wonder what it was like to express the full extent of his love to Judas that night. I mean, if I were Jesus that day, I would have gotten to Judas. And just to make a point, I would have, like, turned his feet into, like, little baby feet, you know, or something where he would have had to just hobble out, and then I would have made that point. But you all know I have issues. I've got issues. That's, and that's why Jesus is Jesus, and he didn't do that. He just washed his feet and showed them the full extent of his love. It's amazing. Then it says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he asked this question, do you understand what I have done for you? Now, these guys were not always the the brightest stars in the sky. So Jesus made a point of explaining these things, which really benefits people like me, too. So in 13, he goes on. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example That you should do as I have done. Now, this is the next shocking statement. You you know, you sometimes you're at home and you're reading the scripture and you would read right past this, but that is a shocking statement. You you mean this is how we're really supposed to love each other? I mean, even the rude ones, even the prideful ones, even the ones who have betrayed us, even the ones who have disappointed us, that's a whole new level. That's tough. I don't know if I can do that, Jesus, but he says, this is. Is how I have loved you. Now you go and love the same way. Love the difficult people like I do. He goes on. He says, I tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, no one is beneath you, everyone deserves your best. If I can love you, even though you're not all that lovable, you can love each other too. Take that, Shania. Write a song about that, Shania. I'll be waiting for it next Monday night. Uh-huh. Enough of that. That's the last Shania comment, okay? That's going to be it, all right? After that, you can fill in your own Shania comments, all right? Now, I think there's a couple of interesting points that we can pick out from this scripture, Okay. Uh, We could take uh, a couple things that might help us the next time we run into these difficult people in our life. Um, Now, I think uh, this will be helpful whether you know Christ or not, whether uh, you're in a relationship with Jesus or not. These principles will still help you. Things may not get better, uh, but they're not going to get worse if you kind of follow some of these ideas. Our blood pressure will probably go down. Our our experience will probably improve. But i will tell you this, it will probably be difficult to do this on your own without God's Spirit in you. But if we're going to try and follow Jesus' example in loving, difficult people, where do we start? Well, I think the first place we start is uh, that we've got to move towards forgiveness. In my life, those who I have held a grudge against, it has been almost impossible to really love. I mean, they become the difficult people if they're not already. They become the people I avoid. They become the people I treat ugly. So if I'm going to love them... If my situation with them is going to improve, I've got to start by forgiving them. You know, it was clear uh, that although each of the disciples had hurt him or disappointed him or betrayed him at some point, uh, uh, Jesus uh, did not have this on his mind that night when he was washing their feet. Somehow, when he knelt down to wash each of their feet, he had let that go. He had forgiven A guy named Paul uh, in, in a book in the New Testament called Colossians is addressing this very same issue and he says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. I love how it says, make allowance for each other's faults. I mean, it's like a recognition that we're going to screw up. We're going to miss the mark. We're not perfect people. And the more that we can see that in ourselves, and the more that we can see that in other people, the easier it becomes to forgive. Uh, a few years ago, I, had, um, I was on Young Life staff before I was, uh, uh, and that's a ministry to, to high school age kids. And uh, I had been in the ministry, both volunteer and on staff, for about 12 years, and I had uh, given many hours. I had really laid my life down for that or organization, many long weeks, and uh, first to get there, last to leave type of events. Uh, my wife, Jenny, was in the ministry for a long time also, and uh, at some point, I kind of run, run into a personally a difficult patch in my life. My second son was born, and he had some uh, some difficulties after he was first born and my mom shortly after that went into the, the hospital and uh, was in the hospital for about two or three months before she died of uh, brain cancer and uh, it was a just a difficult period of life for me transition and uh, some mourning going on there and obviously that was beginning to reflect in my in my job performance in my ministry as well and uh, around that time the fall of that year there was a group of uh, leaders of that uh, organization some of the the heads some of the guys who have been uh, close to me and poured into me uh, began to have a conversation uh, apart from me uh, should we fire Chris should we just let him go he he, he seems to be difficult to work with or he's he's uh, having a hard time and uh, i I found out about this and someone told me and I thought man I am so I feel so hurt I feel so betrayed after what I have given to this organization that someone wouldn't just come to me and talk to me about it and I tell you what I kind of hung on to that and we kind of worked through it but I I just hung on to it and uh, it it hurt me and when I would see those people I would avoid them I would do all those things I would try and uh, uh, get around even interact with them at all and at some point at some point I just had to let it go at some point I had to say okay God I'm just gonna forgive them you know they were trying to do the best they could and i'm just going to forgive them i had to commit to accepting them as they were and just forgive them not hold it against them because otherwise there would be no real way to love them one of the main reasons that people are difficult to love is because they have hurt us they've disappointed us or they've let us down in some way so if we're not be able to not able to get beyond this point It will constantly be a roadblock for us to work toward a healthy relationship with them. If we're ever going to get to a better relational situation, we've got to figure out a way to forgive. And as we know, forgiveness is really as much as it is uh, or more for us than it is for them. I mean, unforgiveness in our own lives is like a cancer. It starts out small, but it just grows and grows and grows. And it uh, impacts just about every aspect of our life. And it impacts all of our relationships. uh, And um, it it can just be ugly and, uh, and pretty destructive to our souls. But if we could get to a point in our life where we decided, whatever about it, uh, whatever that thing about them that rubs me the wrong way, I'm just going to let it go. I- I'm just not going to hold it against them. I- I'm actually going to make a conscious decision to pre-forgive them. I- I'm going to forgive them for what they did, and then I'm going to pre-forgive them in advance for what they're going to do, the way they're going to act. As I go home, I'm going to begin to think that way. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against them. As I go to work, as I go into that next setting, as I go into that next holiday, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to let it go. And if they're difficult to love, there's something that has probably already built up in that relationship. Something that's become a block for us to really be able to love them well. Now, we can't totally unpack this idea of forgiveness right now. We don't have the time. But if, uh, if that feels like it's stirring something in you, if that feels like it's striking something in you, there's a fantastic series that Mike did uh, a couple years ago in the fall of 2011 called Breakout, and you can go on the, on, the, uh, on the website and check it out, and it would be worth the two or three hours of listening to it or watching it online. It's called Breakout, uh, Fall of 2011. Uh, or if this is a, feels like a roadblock for you, I would love to, to meet and talk with you, or uh, someone on staff would love to sit and chat with you, and sometimes it's just helpful to have someone help you kind of untangle some of that stuff, but unforgiveness can be a real roadblock in moving toward health in our relationships, especially with those who are difficult to love. The second point that I see and uh, that I think is really, truly amazing with Jesus is that part of my problem is that I really sit back in these relationships and I avoid and I wait for them to act and I wait for them to change. And So uh, if the relationship is going to progress, it's going to be all on them. Uh, but it's easy to see that Jesus did not wait for this to happen. He didn't do that. In- instead, he chose to act First. He chose to act first. Jesus didn't wait for these guys to get their act together. Uh, he didn't wait for them to change. Instead, he acted. And Paul, right into that same group of people uh, uh, in Colossians, has these, uh, this same attitude in mind. He says this Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, or in another translation, it says, compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now, I don't know exactly why Paul used this imagery uh, of clothing ourselves, but it doesn't seem to be an accident. For me, it's very effective. It's something like this. If we don't put on the stuff uh, uh, on towards other people, especially those that are difficult to love, well, then we're going to be Naked, we're gonna be naked, right? We're gonna be out there revealing parts of us that we don't really want to be seen, right? Stuff that no one else should see, you know. And I, I'm trying to make a point here a little bit, but the, the, the road to tender hearted mercy, the road to compassion here, comes through understanding. Many times, the reason people are so difficult to love is because we have not taken the time to try and understand who they are and where they have come from and why they are the way they are. I, I love Stephen Covey's principle. He says this, seek to understand, then to be understood. Seek to understand, then to be understood. Many times the reason why people are so difficult to love is uh, because we haven't taken the time to understand who they are and where, uh, where they are and who, why, they've come, uh, why they are the way they are. And um, uh, when we uh, begin to put such a high value on uh, being understood, um, uh, it almost feels like it's become an entitlement to us. It's almost become an expectation that we would be understand. You don't understand me. You don't get me. You don't understand why I would fill in the blank. And what I'm asking you to consider uh, in in this idea of understanding is that we would devalue being understood. That we would put that as less of a priority and that we would raise the value on understanding others, right? That we would devalue being understood and that we would raise our value on understanding others. And when we begin to put ourselves in their shoes because when we value understanding them and where they're coming from, that's when breakthroughs happen. That's when the relationship progresses. That's when change happens. When we actually get to know people and get to know their story it becomes easier and easier to love them we don't just settle for not seeing the worst in them but we actually begin to see the best in them what god might be able to use them for and that's how god sees them too right he created them uh, he loves them and indeed they reflect part of his personality somehow jesus was able to see the best in those guys His motley crew of guys, he was able to see the best in them that he could actually use them for something great. And the truth is we're all grateful for it because those are the guys that ended up carrying on the gospel to the next generation. And the next generation, they're the ones who began the movement that has changed this world and that we're still a part of today. So what might happen? What might happen if we did the very same thing? What could God do with us loving some of the difficult-to-love people in our lives? Maybe something huge. Maybe something world-changing. Because the truth is this. If we're really honest, we're all difficult to love, right? I mean, we disappoint people all around us. We can't even live up to our own standards. We do the annoying things. We ignore the important things in life and lean into the comfortable and convenient. We live our lives focused on ourselves and our well-being while others are suffering around us. If nothing else, there are just those days that we uh, are not as lovable as we think we are. We wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Our circumstances in life are not what we want them to be. We're tired. We're impatient. We're underappreciated. Things are not going well at work. Things are not going well at home. But literally, here is the good news. Here is the gospel. God loves us anyway. He's crazy about us just the way we are. Loving people that are difficult to love is the gospel. If you want to engage in activity that God engages in all the time, love difficult people. If you want to be about what God is about, love difficult people. And love people when they're difficult. Because truthfully, that's what God is in the business of doing. I love that Jesus closes his little, uh, his small group time with these guys. He closes with this great statement. He says this in John 13, 17. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's a little like what we're trying to talk about here at Hope. Live what you learn. Now that you know some stuff, now go out and do it. He's saying the very same thing. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If we're going to be a campus, a church, a community that's attractive to the rest of the world, well, then we need to figure out a way to love people in a strikingly different way. But if we do, our lives... Our relationships will be different. We will be blessed. And our campus, our church, our community will be changed. It will be blessed. So commit to moving toward forgiveness. Might take some baby steps, but begin to move toward forgiveness. And then choose to act first. Don't wait for them to make the change, but choose to act first in loving those difficult people around you. And know that when you do, you're part of living out the gospel in this world. Let's pray. God, I'll be the first to admit that I'm, um, I'm difficult to love. I've got issues. I've got shortcomings. I've got pride and selfishness. Uh, too often I'm about my own business. And not about your business, business that really matters. So forgive me. And as I receive that forgiveness, um, help me to really love people. Help me to uh, show people the full extent of your love for them, just like you did with those disciples. Just like you did with that group of guys that was not easy to love either. God, give us the courage to move toward forgiveness toward those people that have hurt us, who have let us down, who have disappointed us, who have intentionally wronged us. And God, use, uh, use our hearts for loving people to change this world, to change our families, to change this community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.